It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Ladies and gents, welcome back to the Pit Stop Podcast. The day is, is possibly one of my favorite days this year so far because we've got a guest, another guest, someone I didn't think that we'd actually ever get. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a different location cool today location. as well. Who yeah. is it, Jake? Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Gumball 3000 himself, Maximilian Cooper. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Fake applause in the background. <laughs> we'll put more claps in afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what an oh, amazing yeah. place. Thank you. Yeah, we're currently sat in well, your office it's, right now. It's, yeah, you're in my office. We're in West London. It's um, it's kind of like, you know, when people haven't been here before, they say it's kind of like one of the ultimate sort of man caves, let's say. But yeah. uh, it's my, it, you know, it, it shows, it sort of shares my passion for what I'm into, which is obviously cars, motorbikes, art, sneakers, yeah, football, music. Pop mm. culture. I want to take it straight back to the beginning, though. Yeah. Like, because we're sat here and you can see all this amazing stuff on the walls and everything has stories. But how on earth did all of this start? Like... Good question. Um, well, long, long time ago. <laughs> it feels like telling a story now. <laughs> story but, time. Uh, yeah, here we go. Uh, brief snapshot. I don't know how brief it is. But, um, you know, Gumball came about because you know, my life had incorporated some interesting things before starting this. Like I'd, I'd sort of uh, grown up being into all sport, playing a lot of football, quite high level of it. And so sport was sort of everything. But I was also into sort of action sports, skateboarding, that kind of thing. And from quite an early age, I got sponsored. So In skateboarding, was that? Yeah, I was actually sponsored to BMX, first of all, doing all the uh, tricks, freestyle. Who, 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 cool. who sponsored you? Uh, Van shoes and um, swatch <laughs> watches go. and a bike company called GT. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, this is we're talking like when I mean, I'm very young, you know, sort of like the age of sort of 13, 14, 15 kind of age group. And um, but it kind of it was a world I loved. And mm. I grew up in Middle England, sort of uh, South Midlands, Worcestershire, Malvern Hills, borders of Worcestershire, Gloucestershire, and um, you know, not a lot goes on around there really. And this was my kind of my sort of BMXing, if you like, back then, took me all around the country, first of all, and then sort of started taking me to, to other places and um, through sponsors. Yeah. And, and, you know, from that early age, really, getting, um, you know, getting at the time not sponsored as in like getting lots of money, but more kind of like free, you know, equipment and free van shoes and that sort of stuff. It's incredible, mm. you know, when you're 14 at school yeah, and you know, a box arrives. And even, like, when you, even when you're 27, that's absolutely. still pretty sick. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I kind of, that gave me an early taste of sort of almost uh, 
you know, that, that working with brands and sponsorship and, and all of that, as much as I kind of didn't want to uh, leave the BMX kind of world, I sort of got onto skateboard and found I was fairly good at that too. Mm. So got sponsored to do that and, and ended up, um, that's less kind of, uh, when I say sponsored again, it's like free decks and free shoes yeah, and free yeah, watches yeah. and whatever and stuff. And it was more like less competitive. It was more sort of going around the place and doing demos. And What year was this, this roughly? Uh, this is like late 80s. <clears throat> so who was part of the scene at that point? Um, so the likes of people like Tony Hawk that have obviously kind of become, you know, fairly household names for, yeah. for uh, well, as a legend in the skate world. I mean, back then, the likes of Tony was sort of, sort of my hero too. Um, but he's, Tony's only a few years older than me, but it was sort of, he was the American pro along with a bunch of other guys called the Bones Brigade and, and just sort of, you know, guys called Lance Mountain, Steve Caballero and, and all these guys that are basically sort of still legends, heroes in their industry. Mm. Basically that era was, you know, obviously pre well, but you know, well before internet and everything, well before computers were invented, I think, um, you know, VHS tapes. Yeah. We're like gold, you know, we'd, we'd get one, you know, one called Animal Chin, Search for Animal Chin. And it was kind of life-changing, really, you know. It was like a, it was a dream, you know, watching it. You'd copy all the tricks they were all doing and you wanted to go to California and, and live that kind of life, really. So through skateboarding, I kind of had a taste of that. And it did sort of take me to, to a few countries around the place to do demos and stuff. So, and then I'd say, you know, when I got to sort of 18... Um, you know, leaving school, finishing A-levels, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I had a trip to London about sort of probably whenever it would have been sort of lower six sort of time to visit um, a couple of friends of mine that were already down here. And one of them went to this uh, art school called St. Martin's, which is in Char was on Charing Cross Road at the time. Um, I didn't know anything about it, but, you know, the more I, I went there and it was really cool. It was not like a normal uni that I'd visited a couple of unis yeah. and went in this place, St. Martin's, and there's like a, there's a place in there called Dave's, Dave's Diner. And, um, and Mick Jagger was in there. <laughs> and, and I was like, this isn't like a normal uni, right? No. This place is kind of cool, right? And yeah, I, I yeah. think I might want to go here. Yeah. So I applied to go there and amazingly I got in. And um, you know, the more I learned about St. Martin's, you know, back then it was really prestigious and it was hard to get into. And there's only like 80 places in the year sort of thing. and. Most people have done foundation courses or are a little bit older. They've, you know, done a bit of experience and stuff. And so I think I was the only person to get in or one of only a couple that got in straight from A-levels. Um, and it was a really kind of mad experience in the sense of, you know, you're thrown straight into that sort of London fashion scene, not just as a student, but you've got famous designers tutoring you. You've got kind of, you get invited to all the big fashion shows in Paris and Milan and New York and whatever as a student still. Because most of the ex-students that have just graduated have gone on to be heads of, you know, Dior and Gucci and whatever. So yeah. it's a kind of yeah. a little kind of community, really, that looks yeah. after itself. So, yeah. you know, sort of found myself in that world. And then within the first month, let's say, I did a TV commercial for Mountain Dew. <laughs> big drink in America. Yeah, yeah, I've flown yeah. out there to yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. Started doing all the runway shows. Started doing adverts for Ralph Lauren, Giorgio Armani. And, and so by the time I sort of was at St. Martin's, I was already in adverts for Giorgio Armani. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and being this sort of new, fresh face model sort of thing, you know, and making some decent money and, you, you know, it's all sort of new. The agency looks after you quite well, you know, and, and you, 
you get sort of treated really well in everywhere you go and VIP in these nightclubs and stuff, yeah, which yeah, are yeah. all like, you know, people buying champagne bottles and whatever, which I'd never seen before, you yeah, know, at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I invite all my mates down that have never seen anything like this at yeah, all. Yeah, Even yeah. I've only seen it for a few like, months at this time, you know. And that one in particular, you know, I'm never going to forget this one because it's like my 18th birthday and I've got like, you know, four mates from home that have never left Worcester before pretty much. And we're in this club and we've got a table that's ours and it's celebrating my birthday and they're bringing all champagne out and sparklers and whatever. And on the table next to me, it's Prince. And and it was Prince's birthday too. No, we oh, shared wow. the same birthday. No so way. So Prince was like, "Let's join our tables together. Let's oh, have no. a celebration." Wow. So I'm just finished school, you know, <laughs> and weeks later, I'm sharing my birthday party with Prince. <laughs> That's fucking mad, this yeah. mate. It was oh, mad. And that was like a snapshot of kind of like how life had sort of suddenly changed. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. and a couple of these friends of mine actually um, had come down to London. Probably, I, think, I remember thinking. They came down like the night before sort of thing to go to the Prince concert at Wembley. You know? oh, really? And the next day <laughs> they're in the club like, with him. In the club with him, you know, hanging out literally. You know? That's so, sick. It's kind of funny. The thing that I missed in moving to London was actually that kind of just my life until leaving the countryside was, was sport mm -hmm. all the time, you know. And um, the one thing I'd never got a chance to do because I never had the opportunity or the money really was race cars. And so... I wisely spent some of my earnings on learning to race cars, basically. And I went and did a, this is that back then, that same era when I was, when I was there. Um, I went and did this dry, racing driving school at Donington. It's called the Jim Russell Racing. It was like the, you know, learn to be a racing driver in a week sort of thing, yeah. kind of course. And, um, and I did that. And um, I mean, funnily enough, some of the other people on that course became, went on to become fairly good drivers. And, you know, we sort of stayed friends sort of since really. And, and, um, that was my first sort of stepping stone into that, into that loving cars sort of world, really. So I kind of grew up without much kind of interaction with cars. My mum drives a Morris Minor my entire... Okay. I mean, she still okay. has it now, the same one. And my dad doesn't drive. He's never driven ever. He used to have motorbikes when I was young. Okay. And I'd always be on the back of the motorbike hanging on and, and get taken to school on a back of a bike sort of thing but he never actually bothered to take his driving test and <laughs> and then he had a few sort of motorbike accidents when when I was a little bit older and it sort of scared him I think and and they live in the middle of nowhere and he just rides a bicycle now and he's just never like literally mum's always driven and dad's the passenger sort of thing oh, I know? like that though I like that so funny funny how you you don't because a lot of people that we meet you know they've been so obsessed with cars and it, yeah. it, it, it runs in the family. You know, dad was a racing yeah. driver or, or something, or, you know, yeah. an uncle or a grandfather. But for you, it's like you decided that on your own, this is what I want to do. Yeah, my, uh, my grandfather on my mum's side was really into cars and had a couple of really beautiful Alfa Romeos when I, was, when I was very small. He died when I was about 10, but, you know, I always remember those sort of sports cars, early 70s, Alfa 2000 GTV and 1750 GTV, which are just Bertone bodies, beautiful little Italian sort of sports cars and and um so i'd had a taste of it as a kid mm -hmm. yeah you know and being the passenger next to him in a fast car sort of yeah. thing and, yeah. and and never had it since then you know mm -hmm. but in many ways the morris minor when i look back on it right now our summer holidays back then were always like driving to france or italy or something yeah. so almost they're like road trips the same as gumball is yeah yeah, yeah. You know? okay. okay so it's it, the it, seed was planted i yeah, guess yeah. it was i didn't yeah. realize that I've, I've kind of sort of come to sort of realize that years later i think but um early 90s i get this bit of money you know stream of money coming in through modeling and and basically burn through it on on racing cars and and so i do this you know learn to drive get my racing driver's license do 
several, you know, a season of races in Formula Ford and Formula Vauxhall Junior and Formula okay, Lotus. Okay, okay. And through racing, I'm starting to get, a, you know, get to know more friends in that world and that community. And, and they're sort of just parallel lives I'm having sort of thing, you know. And, and I guess I wanted to be a racing driver back then. You know, that was, that I got that, that uh, you know, adrenaline from it and I guess wanted to be good at everything I did. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have to say that, you know, I wasn't naturally as gifted at racing as I was at other sports probably, but you know, I, I felt like I hadn't had that. I'd started when I was like well, 18. Well, that's it. If you're you know, from the middle of nowhere, you didn't have all the carting tracks and everything yeah, around where you live. Yeah. And you know, some people at that age have already been racing for sort of 15 years of their life. Yeah. And yeah. That's and whatever it. And dedicate so, everything to it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I kind of pursued it and then finished St. Martin's thought, what am I going to do? And by that point, I sort of was quite well versed in the sponsorship world. And so I'd started bringing in fashion brands that I was modeling for to sponsor me to race. Okay. And, um, you know, so I got a nice Giorgio Armani logo on the side of the car or Ralph Lauren or, or uh, you know, Diesel or something, whichever brands it was that I had a, you know, got a relationship yeah, yeah. with. I'd they must have been the, in... the sickest sponsors in the whole yeah, grid as well. To compared the to everyone, they've got like a, like a shitty oil <laughs> yeah. company and you've got, yeah. yeah, Ralph Lauren. Yeah, well, that was kind of almost what happened, you know. Yeah. And, and I sort of realized, you know, I think back then that... Um, the two worlds that I was exposed to sort of, you know, they could meet in the middle, but they sort of didn't very often. And in the sense that I kind of felt like I could add a bit of the fashion yep. entertainment world to like the no motorsport world and make it a bit more fun. I was seeing like a, a corporate brand spending like, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands on a, yep. on a party, on a launch of something mm. one night. And the next night, going to some mates like fashion party or something in London, where it was probably done on a budget of hundreds of pounds and was the best thing yep. you could imagine. And I'm like, well, it's got to be something, something you could do. some middle ground. I can yeah. kind of make this car world a bit more fun and a bit cool and a bit more edgy. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I did a, a law degree at Sussex Uni. When I went down to, to Sussex, I never really felt like I was a normal student at, at that point because I'd got, you know fancy cars by yeah you had a lot more going on probably than the other students you, you were, were already with. the shit people already yeah. respected you and you were the big dog i mean anyway. i think back to it it kind of was quite comical really i had a i had a bright red lotus esprit <laughs> that you know this high angled you know looked like the british version of a lamborghini countach kind of thing you mm -hmm. know and that was my university car kind of thing. <laughs> that's badass i got badass. a porsche turbo and i'd got a um, a few other nice cars back then, so I, I must have like been a bit ridiculous, you know, to other students thinking back to yeah, it sort yeah. of thing. Mm. But you know, it just was what it was, and and um, and like I said, I'd dip in and out of it, and I'd be in London quite frequently and travelling quite a lot. And um, but I got through that degree, and I did enjoy it, and sort of came out of that one. And then we're now talking like late nineties, sort of ninety seven, I think. And, you know, by that point, I'd realized I'm not going to be next world champion F1 driver. And, you know, modeling was fun, but it's not something I want to sort of keep doing. Yeah. Um, so what do I do? So at this point, I, um, I really did realize that I got these incredible, my assets were really my network of friends. That from kind of like being a BMX rider almost to that point of finishing sort of uni, um, some of those friends that I'd met in those eras, you know, in the BMX world, the most famous BMX riders back then, someone called Matt Hoffman and, and various others. Who? There. 
Who was that? <laughs> I don't know if you know of them, whatever, but yeah, we used to ride against each other. And we're the same age, you know, so That's we compete nice. against each other. And then, you yeah. know, they were talking like a decade later almost sort of thing. Matt's now sort of, you know, a legend in that world in the States. Definitely. And, yeah. and we're mates. And then through that world and the skate world, I'm friends with the likes of Tony Hawk and all that crowd. And, mm-hmm. and so realizing that in that period, they've gone on to be like, you know, the top guys. Top yeah. tier, yeah. Um, people I've met in, uh, in the London fashion party social scene we're now you know heads of dior and i don't know friends of pop stars rock stars jamiroquai jk people like that then mm. the other models probably this point now friends with jody kidd and that sort of crowd okay. and, yeah, yeah. um kate moss crew and all that that wow. sort of lot that was the london sort of party scene really it was just people that i'd hang out with you know or, or see at parties every night yeah. sort of thing really and and sort of realizing that actually if i put them all together if i brought them all in the same and obviously got you no know, racing drivers you know people that were now in uh you know working their way up the ranks of racing or or, or even in formula one i think people like you know coulthard was similar age to me and you know mm-hmm. he was in f1 at that time and damon hill and that lot and a bit older but i, I knew them you know i got yeah, to know yeah, the yeah. racing sort of yeah, crowd you know yeah. so um I sort of thought, you know, if I got all my mates in the same room together, it'd be a pretty good party, was kind of the vision. And then I thought, you know what, going back to what I just touched on a second ago, if, if I kind of added a bit of that fashion music kind of scene and the skate culture scene that I was still sort of very much kind of into, into, into the racing world, we'd just be a bit different. Yeah, we'd create sure. something a bit more interesting. Yeah. So sounds as, as ludicrous as it may sound now so this is like now you know 97 98 i had got to know people at different formula one teams just through racing and testing and being on the the lower tiers of races at, at yeah, race yeah, weekends yeah. and whatever and, and whatever um i got to become friends with um uh, a formula one team owner called ken tyrrell it was tyrrell formula one team it, Tyrrell was world championship winning team in the early 70s. Jackie Stewart raced for them and uh, okay. was world champion with yeah, them. Yeah. And, and um, um, Tyrrell was kind of like Ken himself was sort of, I think, in his 70s at that point when looking to kind of almost, you know, get out of the industry at that point. And, and sort of had these kind of meetings with him and, and a few other people that I knew. And the, the sort of the vision sort of became, all right, I'm going to buy a Formula One team. Oh, wow. And... Um, and I'm going to make it the most sexy, edgy, cool <laughs> rock and roll rock and roll team yeah, yeah. that exists. And and now I'd grown up in that sort of as a little kid. You know, I was born in the early '70s. James Hunt was Formula One world champion. He was one of the poster kind of posters I have on my wall at home. You know, and um, I'd obviously you know followed his career and whatever. And and later, kind of at that age, I was now in my sort of mid twenties. You know read more and more about the kind of the early years of, of racing from the Bentley boys to kind of the James Hunt era and found that that was the era that I should have been part of. Mm. You know, it was more fun era. It was kind of less corporate era. Yeah. And, well, you and, say um, that, but I think exactly the same about the, your era in the 90s. Yeah. Like, yeah. it sounds cool as shit. Yeah, it gets more <laughs> and more corporate. As <laughs> That's it, mate. I wish I could go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm reading stories like Bentley boys pulling into the pits at Le Mans to have a cigarette and a glass of champagne and go back out, you know, and yeah, thinking, yeah. you know what, that's not going to happen anymore. You know? <laughs> but, you know, James Hunt's era was cool and, you know, there was a point in the 70s where Hesketh Racing was actually doing what I kind of had sort of rekindled, let's say, in the 90s. They had a 
you'll you'll have to Google this if you if you're not familiar with it, but around the sort of 1976, 77, 78 season, um, the Hesketh Formula One cars had three main sponsors, um, Durex, Rizzler, cigarette papers, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Penthouse, porn magazine. Uh, so, okay, okay right? fair enough. That was the three sponsors on that car. Sound, just three. Yeah. And, that, and that's it. <laughs> Rizzler, Penthouse, and, and Durex. I miss the old, the old Marlborough on yeah, the, yeah, on the yeah. cars. I mean, Marlboros you know, are amazing as well, but they were, they were very corporate back then. They yeah. look super cool to us now yeah. because of the liveries, but they were actually quite sort of corporate. I mean, obviously, they're probably the most iconic liveries of cars ever, I think. Mm. JPS and, and, and red and, and white Marlboro cars are. Um, but anyway, back then, you know, Hesketh Racing was kind of doing what I sort of wanted to redo almost in my, in my version of it. So I went and got in touch with Lord Hesketh, who was the owner of Hesketh Racing, and James Hunt back then, Bubbles Horsley, who was a guy that ran Hesketh Racing, and then this guy called Harvey Postlethwaite, who was James Hunt's uh, wow, engineer. serious names here. Um, you know, and Ken Tyrrell, and sat everyone in the room together, and we sort of said, you know, I sort of pitched to them, yeah. I want to kind of like, you know, make a great, you know, rock and roll race team again, and add a bit of call into it, will you guys support me sort of thing. Um, interestingly, I actually got a few other people in, into that conversation. I got JK uh, <laughs> into that and, um, and actually um, had this conversation yesterday. I had a meeting yesterday with, um, with Lord March, Charles March, who runs Goodwood. Oh, um, okay. yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I got him involved back then as well. So sort I of think, wow. you know what, we're going to get like the British establishment. How old were you here, 20? Mid 20s. It's pretty incredible that you know them people mid twenties. Yeah. Well, I didn't know them all then. I mean, some. I mean, people like Jay, I was friends with, and and um, you know, but the others, the the kind of the guys from the F one world, some of them like you know, like I said, I got to know them through me racing a little bit. But like Lord Hesketh, I didn't know, and Lord March, I didn't know. I just got in t- I just yeah. wrote them a letter and sort of said, mm. I've got a plan. Do you yeah. can I meet you? You know, and tell you my plans, sort of thing. And and um, and they said yes. You know, and, and managed to get all those sort of people in, in the same room. And, and like I said, the vision was to actually kind of for me to take over Tyrrell Formula One team and, you know, just add that edge to it. If I can put this team together and kind of, you know, I'll bring the fashion brands, I'll bring the, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. you know, the rock stars, I'll bring the, I'll bring the supermodels to the equation kind of thing, you know, will you back me sort of thing financially? And he's like, sounds like a plan, you know, and... And so wow. I found myself, I was probably like, I was about sort of 26 or something, 25, 26. I found myself like negotiating with Ken Tyrrell to buy, form, you know, his Formula One team. <laughs> That's huge. And, and it really kind of, it actually went to contract stage and we were about to almost, it was still going through like the two, you know, back and forth with, uh, with the deal and, and the offer and everything. And I think we were offering about, I'm guessing now it was because it, it was all sort of, you know, never got finalized, but it was around the sort of, I think we were offered around 10 million, but we'd got about 15 million, something like that to, to sort of play with, which was, you know, a lot of money for me back then to yeah, be kind yeah, of yeah. like <clears throat> spending on, you know, yeah. quite nice to be in that position, sort of say, well, I'll offer you, you know, 10 million, 11 million, whatever it might be, you know, mid twenties. Yeah. Um, and anyway, at that, it looked like we were all going to happen because everyone was into it and, and, um, got all the right people involved. And then it got announced around that time that, um, that cigarette advertising was going to get banned from sport and they'd only got five years to get their brands out there still in, in the world of sport before they couldn't do it anymore. Mm. 
And so, annoyingly for me, um, Ken Tyrrell got this call out of the blue from British American Tobacco, BAT, Lucky Strike Cigarettes, sort of saying, we want to buy your team. And, you know, I oh, guess Ken's saying how much, you know, and they probably said, you know, 20 million, 20 30 million, million yeah, whatever it yeah, was. Yeah. I don't even know what the deal went for in the end, but it was more money than we'd, we'd got. Mm-hmm. And so it ended up going, you know, selling to, to BAT. It became the BAR Honda Formula One team that Jensen Button became more champion with. Right. Um, which, which, you know, subsequently changed hands you know, many times since then. But um, so that was kind of like my dream, kind of almost, you know, almost there and, and pulled away from me by this, you know, British American tobacco, annoyingly. But I, I think, you know, back then, I, I, would, I didn't really kind of like have time to sort of dwell on that in the sense of I got so many people involved in it. Yeah. And I kind of thought, you know what, everyone's really super hyped and into this and wants me to kind of like would be into this sort of great new, you know, F1 team and supermodels and you know, rock stars kind of yeah. attitude. Mm. So I thought, you know, let me prove to all these people that I've got together that I can kind of do something because I've got this race team. So I thought, you know, I'll invite them. We'll have a big party and I'll invite everyone and that'll be kind of like my way of sort of connecting everyone and whatever. And then I thought, you know what? Everyone goes to parties all the time. It's not going to be that good. So I'm like, you know, I'll invite them to a party, but we'll do a few parties and we'll do a road trip. Yeah. And, and it's how Gumball came about, basically. Six days, 3,000 miles. Those of you that are new to it and they're expecting to have just party after party after party, it's not going to be like that. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And I sort of then came up with this sort of plan to like have a party in London one night and one in Paris the next night. Because I was going to sort of F1 races at the time. I was like, well, if we do it around this time, it coincides with the, um, you know, what at the time was called the San Marino Grand Prix. And then we go from Imola back to, you know, up through Germany and back to London and do a party every night. It'd be sort of five, six days or whatever it is, six days, I think. And, um, and I'll invite all these people. It's 10 o'clock, uh, we're at the reception to set this whole little party off. I had a little flat in Notting Hill, one bedroom, you know, I hired a, a secretary and an assistant, and we had one computer and, you know, bought one printer and, and sort of, I was sort of still writing handwritten letters as well to sort of, and I sent out these letters to everyone, which is like an invite. So that's how you would have got people to come. I guess you can just text them or ring them. I mean, you know what? We did have mobile phones back then. <laughs> yeah, but people didn't use email back then. Okay, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like me saying I had a computer, it was like emails weren't like, you know, 
I mean, they were used, but it wasn't. It was still letters were still yeah. there. There's something about faxes. Faxes letter. were the thing, actually. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm likening a lot of what you do to what we do on a smaller yeah. scale, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's like any time that we get a guest on, it's, it's through reaching out personally, yeah. through a voice note or yeah. something like that. And, yeah, yeah. and that is a lot of people like miss that these yeah. days, yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, I did that and, and ended up sort of plotting this route out. You know, not very organized, but um, ended up having 55 cars driving on this first gumball around Europe and put on these parties and um, I charged an entry fee for everyone to do it and, and it was, was £3,000 per car to enter. Mm. The whole Gumball 3000 sort of name came about because even at that point we were kind of, I've been thinking about sort of trying to come up with a word or a name that was really non-corporate sounding. Yeah. That was just fun. Mm. And... Um, also, we're talking now, we're sort of in 1998, turning into 1999, and I don't even think you guys were born then, but if you were... Just about. The, the whole world at that time was panicking about the year 2000. Yeah, Y2K. Y2K, the whole world was going to implode, and every computer was going to crash, and whatever and stuff. And and I kind of thought, you know what, the, this year 2000 was just like everywhere on everything. And I'm like, I'm going to create a brand of the future. So I'm going to be year 3000 instead, you know. And, and, um, and then that 3000 kind of number, I guess the more I sort of thought about it and this vision for sort of a, creating a pop culture brand of the future, this, this 3000 number seems to be a bit of a magical number in, in motorsport as well. So it's basically after the Le Mans 24-hour race, drivers have done 3,000 miles, almost the nearest mile. Oh, okay, right. New York to Los Angeles, the famous cannibal run kind of movies and whatever, race across America, is pretty much 3,000 miles. Right. And, you know, it was all sort of like the stars were aligning. Yeah, oh, this yeah, 3,000 yeah, 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 was yeah, like, yeah. you know, that's what I want. And, um, and the word gumball was a word that was sort of... There was a Gumball Rally film in the 70s, much like the Cannibal Run film, which was like a reference to kind of a chewing gum, a Gumball rolling from A to B. And, um, and at the same, so I guess, you know, given my uh, a little bit of art world kind of background, Andy Warhol used the, the sort of term Gumball once as a kind of a reference to pop culture, like you chew it up like a Gumball and spit it out. So it was like, you know, pop culture brand of the future. That yeah. was what I was trying to kind of create. So, it still stands up today when, yeah. when, you, when you look at it and you think about the branding and stuff. Yeah. So that, that's what I called it, you know, Gumball 3000. And, and um, you know, like I said, invited all these people. People came, brought their own cars. and Who came on that first trip? Who got the first letters or who was the ones you were like, I need them on this to make it work? I've uh, got my model agency. I was still with this elite uh, elite model agency at the time so I got them to enter a couple of cars of, of sort of supermodels and whatever and um, friends with world boxing champion at the time called Chris Eubank from Brighton oh, who yeah. brought his truck his 18 wheeler yeah I've seen him it, drive that around know? he brought that on this <laughs> driving around Europe um, I'd become friends with a, a guy that was very famous actor at the time um, but we knew each other through racing cars which was his sort of passion outside of being a, a TV sort of star guy called Jason Priestley that was on a show called Beverly Hills 90210, which in the 80s, 90s, or probably 90s, was like, you know, there wasn't a bigger show in the world sort of thing. Mm. It was it was the biggest TV show yeah. out there. And he was the lead guy in that. So so he, he came on that with me. Um, Kylie and Danny Minogue, pop stars <laughs> of the time. You know, it was just a real kind of like, you know, who's who of that London sort of world, really, or mm -hmm. that, that sort of sort of celebrity world and 
And the cars that people brought were sort of equally as eclectic as, as that. And it wasn't all sort of celebrities. It was sort of, again, you know, people I'd met through racing and, and um, so complete petrol heads as well. A mix, and, um, yeah. I mean, you know, the di diverse mix, the eclectic mix of it on that very first rally was probably as good as it ever gets. I've never eclipsed mm. that even all these years later. Really? That first rally had... It had a, some billionaire in New York who was an eccentric guy that started a toy company and he brought, a, came, brought an ambulance on it. <laughs> he kind of kitted out with toys in the back, like Sesame Street kind of style. Yeah. We had, um, as friends with, with uh, Gordon Murray who designed the, the McLaren F1, the McLaren road car and obviously famous F1 car designer. Um, and his son, Dylan Murray, brought a car called a Rocket that, Dylan, that uh, his dad had designed. The Rocket's like a two-seater Formula One car, but one in front of the other. And they brought that on the rally. Wow. Um, you know, another friend brought a McLaren F1 LM, which is now a 30 million pound car, one of only six in the world, you know. For that um, first rally, did you have like much permission to do it? Or were you we just... had no permissions because it wasn't really, um, you know, I guess what we did then was very just... Uh, raw and sort of basic you know hotels what people paid their entry fee for sort of covered an element of just the logistics like paying yeah. for hotel rooms and whatever in these places mm -hmm. the parties and the and who played at the parties i got for free because it was all mates even if they were famous it was like that was just part of it yeah and you know i think we just drove around europe and fancy hotel to fancy hotel and now because of like the background already in the fashion world, I invited some famous fashion photographers on it or, or you know, just photographers, sorry, fa famous photographers. Um, I invited a couple of magazine editors because I got to know all the magazines in London. And that first rally, we ended up getting features and covers of, of GQ, Esquire, FHM and Maxim, which wow. were the four biggest publications out there. Mm. They were the, the biggest media exposure you could get back then. And, and that was all because I just invited mates on it, really. Mm. Um, and, you know, everyone that basically, you know, did this trip, it was all a bit kind of uh, shambolic in its organization and, and people sort of hated me mid-part mid through because, you know, it was pretty grueling. <laughs> I'd sort of sent people off to drive from London to a, a dinner in Paris and then onto a, a chateau near Le Mans to stay overnight. They'd got to that chateau probably like, you know, like 12 o'clock maybe a bit later, some of them. Uh, the next morning, I'd, I, it was coincided with the uh, Le Mans qualifying. I got permission for us to actually do a Le Mans start, like all the cars <laughs> lined up. And the grandstands were full as well, so that was kind of cool. That's so That's uh, so we did a, a Le Mans start and raced around the Le Mans circuit a couple of laps <laughs> and then headed off to Monaco. Um, I think that Le Mans start was like around midday, so people got into Monaco sort of like late evening sort of thing. and. And everyone thought they were staying in Monaco that night. I'd hired, I'd closed Casino Square in Monaco to park the cars around it. And I'd hired a, the casino to do a party in and a dinner. And we did that. And then we told everyone, you're not staying in Monaco. You've got to drive now through the night to Italy mm. to, to get to San Marino for the morning, ready for the F1 race sort of thing. It was really kind of like people didn't know what they were doing. It's yeah. like a bit of a magical mystery tour. I sort of gave them bits of information as they sort of went along, really. So but isn't that still the case like, to this day when you organize it? Not really. I mean, I wish it was because it works better like that. It worked better like that back yeah. then. But, you know, now you've got fans kind of, you know, waiting for it to come in sort of right, thing. Right, so right. 
anyway, you know, people were kind of like, you know, exhausted in Monaco already and then told to drive, you know, six hours across Italy through the night, you know, for breakfast in San Marino sort of thing. Mm. And, you know, and some people stayed in Monaco because they just were too tired and others got lost and whatever. And most of them end up getting into San Marino kind of like, you know, mid morning and, and, you know, I supposed to have 55 cars, about 110 people. I'd called up Bernie Ecclestone to get tickets for, for everyone. And, um, you know, Bernie had given me about sort of, I think 50 tickets or something. I got 110 people coming. So I was calling up all the team owners that I knew saying, can you give me, you know, five tickets, 10 tickets here sort of thing. You know, it was on the fly. It was like scrambling to make it happen sort Love of it. thing. And some people didn't make it into the F1 and were pissed with me. And, and, um, and anyway, that night after the sort of race, People were deliriously tired because most of them had driven through the night and sort of gone straight to the F1 and, and whatever and then got back to the hotel and then we did a, I mean, hadn't even planned a party at the hotel. We just sort of it turned into one. And, um, and it was kind of like, you know, I don't, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but we kind of like just trashed the hotel. <laughs> it was like, you know, I, I, there was a quote that we used in that early years of Gumball because back then it felt like it was kind of, you know, what, what we kind of created. And we used, we used this quote with the hotel manager of this grand hotel in, in Rimini said, it was like when the Rolling Stones came, but there were 110 of you. <laughs> I think it's about the adventure, you know, and, and about the mystery of it. You know anything you're going to encounter is going to be fun. And so I don't think it's all about winning, it's just about getting there. If I do this rally once a year, it actually is better than F1 because I can actually, instead of inviting people to just watch a race, they can be in it. Yeah. It doesn't matter, you know, bring whatever they've got and share this journey together. The first three years for me, I was, you know, completely broke and doing everything on the fly and owing everyone money and, you know, just coming out of that first rally, I couldn't afford... I hadn't paid for the hotels, I hadn't paid for the production people I'd brought on it to help me build production elements to it and whatever. And almost had to do the second one organically anyway to kind of help pay off the first one. The third year, I brought all my old skate mates on it who'd created a show called Jackass. And we did an hour-long first Jackass movie of that year's route, which was London to Russia and back through Scandinavia. And it was the highest-watched show on MTV in North America. We both love Jackass. Okay. So we, we wanted to definitely ask about that. Like, what was it like with those guys? Give me some, give me some of the craziest stories. Well, I, th I, th I think, you know, like I said, that, that um, era for me, it was, you don't really, I'm in my like, mid-twenties, you know, and late, mid to late-twenties, and these are just mates of mine through skateboarding and, and actually BMX riding. Like, um, director of Jackass called Jeff Tremaine was a BMX rider and... Spike Jones, famous film director, was was also the co-creator of Jackass with with um, with Jeff. The Gumball um, Jackass film was probably at the end of the first year's series of Jackass, so they'd got their awareness already. But even that first year before they came on Gumball, we'd filmed most of Jackass that first se series in London. So you were, were you involved them. in the first series of Jackass? Because we're all mates, basically. Yeah. And so they filmed a lot of that first year with several of them staying on my floor. And, no and, um, and just, you know, I don't think we realized what we were doing. You know, most yeah. of the film sets, the shooting sets, you know, it'd be like, you know, I remember one day we, um, I mean, Jackass really kind of got its sort of, I guess, early kind of... Uh, 
like uh, a claim or not a claims wrong word, but it kind of got it got noticed when for a actual a video that was kind of a, a skateboard magazine video, a skateboard magazine called Big Brother, which Jeff was the editor of. Yeah. And they, you know, all these skate mags have put out videos once a year. You had the CKY stuff as well that yeah. Bam was doing. Yeah, 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 exactly. So basically the Jack, the, uh, the Big Brother video had Johnny Knoxville in it, who was this sort of other, you know, mutual friend of ours that was really not very good at skateboarding, but <laughs> would write for it, you know, write for the magazine and stuff. So he became the kind of almost the... Uh, you know the 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 stunt man almost that could do stuff not on a skateboard because he couldn't skate <laughs> so you know friend back in the states one sort of little scene for this skate mag was shooting him with a magnum and he had a few copies of sort of playboy magazine shoved up his shirt just to kind of like take the impact right and there he is like this and getting <laughs> shot with his magnum like you know and <laughs> taking the impact and whatever. And that was the bit in the skate video that got all the attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, long story, one, one thing led to another that, you know, that video got seen a lot and sort of end up getting, they went and go pitch it out to sort of Comedy Central and to MTV to get it, get it mm. picked up as a, as a show, essentially. And, um, and it got picked up by MTV and then MTV wouldn't ensure them to do these stupid things in America because of legal reasons. MTV Viacom was a bit too scared, so so they came to London and <laughs> we shot most of the first series in London. Wow. So it was like you know a lot of it was like, <clears throat> what can we do today? Like I call out like a rugby team, let's go and play against the London Irish rugby team. And you're just here the you whole know, time, off camera, kind of just watching it all. Yeah, and, and there's London ones, yeah. And we did another one like some mate of my dad's was, uh, was like a weapons expert for the SAS once and. Um, he, you know, after he'd sort of retired from SAS type stuff, he ended up becoming like a bit of a weapons expert for, um, for movies. Right. And uh, so we thought, you know what, let's go and try weapons out on Knoxville one day. So we went up to his friends of my dad's place in, in Shropshire and sort of sh start shooting with crossbows and, you yeah. know. Yeah, nice. You know, all that kind of stuff, really, you know, with him holding like a dartboard on his chest or something. And... So it just, you know, it was just stupid ideas we were having that I think because we were just hanging out and, and just sort of mates and, and doing it like that, I think when it went on air on TV and, and it got so popular, we didn't realize, we didn't know it was going to be like that, yeah. you know, so yeah. Yeah, I think everyone kind of wishes, we, we grew up watching it and, you know, I was watching a clip last night of... Uh, yeah, it probably would have been from Gumble when there's yeah. like Knoxville and Steve-O and Houston yeah. and like a young yeah, yeah, Max yeah. in the middle. And yeah, yeah, it's just mad to see. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we all stay friends since, you know. I see, uh, I'm obviously the last decade or more of my life I've been actually half living in, L in LA that time. I'm sort yeah. of back here now since COVID really. I've sort of stayed here, but for sort of 10 years I was living sort of half in LA, half here. So I'd see Knoxville quite frequently. That's cool. Um, and for that decade when we signed that MTV deal, every year of that decade, it was sort of, you know, they were on it, you know, really, not in Oxford all the time, but Bam and, and Ryan Dunn and, and Steve-O and, and uh, Pontius and the, and the others. This is the crew that I assemble right here, Steve-O. Hey, brother. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> so now this guy's going down. <laughs> 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 I'm bringing you back. Yeah, I'm bringing you back. You've done Gumball. You've done fucking everything by the sounds of things, but... What's next? Like, is there something else in your mind that kind of you think I want to do that? Do you know, I, I, I think I've thought that through the sort of the, uh, 
you know, the time of doing Gumball in a way like what else do I want to sort of do? But amazingly, Gumball has actually allowed me to sort of do all the things that mm, I do enjoy. So going back to it, you know, being a skateboarder and whatever, that's uh, street culture kind of is in my DNA, really, you know, yeah. and graffiti and art and mm. all of that and that and the music world that's kind of intertwines with that. So fortunately, over the years, people have sort of entrusted me to kind of with my vision of design and whatever and across those sportswear brands. So like I said, probably like when I was a, you know, 17 year old, whatever, my dream would have been to, you know, design for Nike or whatever. I've amazingly got to do that yeah, that's through, incredible. through Gumball still. That's, yeah, really cool. I grew up, you know, in an era where Top Trumps was big in the 70s, this little card game. You don't think that 20 years later you're going to have your own game. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's everywhere. And yeah. we've got Gumball Monopoly coming out next year as have well. You, I love Monopoly. Yeah. We've, got another, we've got another video game that will come out on all, you know, Xbox and PlayStation and stuff. And we've got a Web3 game coming out. And, you know, over the years I've managed to kind of direct docufilms and whatever and stuff. And again, mostly through, you know, all through Gumball, but sometimes outside of the Gumball mm -hmm. world as well. Yeah. But it just sort of this, this world sort of allows me to kind of do a bit of everything that I enjoy, really. It's funny how, how the world works, because, I mean, again, it's like the same with us. I would have watched Jackass doing Gumball yeah. 20 odd years ago, whatever it is, and then now I'm kind of sat yeah. in the HQ with the bloke who started it all. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Things are weird. Yeah, definitely. And we're definitely. three weeks away from the next Gumball rally. We are. Yeah. So I, I kind of, I should have it nailed by now, right? Having done is it, it for wait, two is it decades. Not ready yet? But well, <laughs> proper Gumball style, not ready three weeks out. Is that is that how you roll? Yeah. <laughs> Generally, I wish it wasn't, but um, but yeah, this one coming up in three weeks. You know, we've gone through another change of sort of, you know, the eras have changed throughout since starting the rally several times really in terms of uh you know all kinds of things you know we've we kind of entered a that first decade as i said print magazines were important then youtube came in mid 2000s that yeah. changed the game for us tv dropped off no one cared about tv anymore um now almost tv's coming back in we're working on a netflix series that oh yeah netflix yeah. numbers are huge you know uh, so so that's kind of important again but in terms of even this event production since covid Governments, uh, city centres, you know, city uh, councils, whatever, they don't really want such big events in public areas anymore. And mm. um, and also, you know, everything's got to be sustainable now as well. And city centres are trying to get rid of cars and how and all How of that. do you say, like, stay sustainable when you've got, you know, this X amount of cars driving across the world? Obviously, right now, probably almost as much as half of our entry grid is hybrid now right. and okay. has been because actually... The pinnacle of cars actually, you know, over the last decade, i.e., you know, your McLaren P1s and and sort of the top supercars for most manufacturers, you know, kind of like Gregeras and whatever, they're electric, they're the hybrids, you know. Right. So we've been fortunate to kind of organically benefit from just that evolution anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but even over the years, we've tried to kind of, you know, back in early years of Gumball, I remember a quick short story for you of 2000 and, and uh, 2003 rally from San Francisco to Miami. Uh, a mate of mine who'd done the rally from the first year, his family owned kettle chips, the potato crisp. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My mate brought um, one of the cabs of a truck of their 18-wheelers, much like Chris Eubanks' sort of truck that he drives around, um, which is one of their delivery trucks from delivering out kettle chips around North America. And they decided to test whether it could run on potato oil, the waste product from oh, the crisps. Wow. 
And they trialed it on Gumball as a test bed to see if that worked. And so this truck on the back of it had like barrels of potato oil, you know, vegetable oil, really, you know. And throughout that route, they just filled it up and it worked. It just powered and itself. Yeah. It powered itself. And they actually, <laughs> on the back of that, they changed over their entire system wow. of deliveries in the US to use their own waste product. Wow. And it was funny, like, that's such an amazing thing, right? It's <clears throat> 2003. And... I could not get that, you know, we put out press releases for all kinds of stuff on Gumball, right? You know, celebs that are on it, whatever. And the environment issue back then, no one was interested at all. Really? No one wrote about it. No one cared about it, you know. 20 years like, later, it would have been you know, massive. Yeah, yeah, and it was just like, you know, it's just annoying in the sense that, you know, I feel like we're in this wave right now of just sort of because of social media, everyone can sort of say, you you know, speak together en masse, you know, and... and um, and the masses just go with it sort of things. And now everyone's got this tick box saying, are you sustainable? And that's it. Like we've never done anything at all. Mm. And yet over the years, I think we had Teslas on the rally first time and uh, with the founders of Tes Tesla, Ken Harry and, and Elon Musk and whatever in about 2008, you know, and um, they were new mm. and they were just trying to, that rally also started in California. And so it was like one of the, you know, one of the few legs that they could actually charge up and and whatever and right, stuff right, so right, yeah. it's a challenge like right now people say why why don't you uh have more electric cars on the rally fully electric well there's no charging points you know, yeah. at the moment you yeah. Know? Yeah. And, yeah, 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 and actually true. the last rally was in the middle east and you know we were kind of very much on that kind of uh, mindset of sort of making sure there's a, as many electric cars as we can have are there any electric points in oman <laughs> are there any electric points there's nothing there's no. not any you know, yeah, okay. so again, it's sort of like we'd like to be as progressive and and spearhead what is whatever is next um, and be a showcase for the automotive industry. But it's not just a case of sort of waving a wand and saying it's we're just fix, sort of, yeah. you know, mm. we're changing the industry single handedly, you know. So, yeah. Well, mate, I think you're um, <laughs> you're a mad, impressive individual and like definitely an inspiration. I, I wouldn't Thank have you. said that, you know, even a month ago, but just kind of getting to meet you over the last couple of weeks and then coming to see I everything that you that. have yeah, and the people yeah. that you've met. And, and for me, it's more just like I think people are afraid of like spreading themselves too thin. Yeah. You know, and, it, and, it's, and yeah. it is good to focus on one thing, but you focused on about. 10 million different things yeah. and, you, and you kind of yeah. combine them all together in yeah. one so yeah well that's that's kind of my my downfall as well isn't it you know i often think sometimes you know had i just focused on one sport as a kid mm. could have done that but then i actually realized that what and a great asset that i can do all these other things it's yeah. amazing so, it's amazing you know. people have just gone to far-fetched dramatic lengths to get here beyond the odds and um, just random stuff today i end up in, in madrid at some point and walking through Madrid trying to find a place to put more tickets I bump into four more gumballers there doing the same and you know that's a thousand miles in the wrong direction where we're supposed to be.